0: Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, episode eight for August 24th, 2017. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for this podcast is Voice XP. Voice XP is blazing the trail in voice technology. They're taking the lead in developing Alexa skills for the best brands in the world. With Voice XP, all you have to do is say it to revolutionize your marketing strategy. Check out what these folks are doing at voicexp.com. We're very thrilled to be joined by two excellent guest panelists today. First, let me introduce Mandy Chan. Mandy, say hello.
1: Hello. Mandy's in the house.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mandy, thank you very, very much for joining us today and, and sharing some of your time with us. Tell me what are you working on? We've got your bio and your information on our site, but uh, in your own words, just share, share with me in the audience what you're working on with voice right now.
1: Okay. Um, I'm a highly passionate developer who absolutely loves learning and sharing and inspiring other people to pursue their passions and build amazing products. Right now, I'm working on my second open source project, which is SSML Builder in Java. And in the meantime, I'm also working on my Grace Hopper talk that's coming up in October 2017 in Florida. Um, Stop by, listen to my talk if you're you're going to Grace Hopper this year.
0: And we'll make sure we add that link, by the way, to the show page um, when the show goes live. Mandy, thank you very, very much for joining us today. Our other guest panelist is Brian Romley. Brian, say hello. Hello, everyone. Brian, thank you very much for joining us uh, once again. Brian, I I preach the gospel of multiplex. I'm a uh, staunch advocate, uh, but uh, tell me a little bit about what you're working on uh, this week and what you've got going on right now.
2: Well, I'm actually working on um, getting close to the end of the August issue. I'm going to surface another one of my protocols. Uh, I'm over 200 and still growing. And these are, are concepts of how humans will be interacting with AI and machines. So it's actually the uh, the symbiosis between what big uh, data learning AI, machine learning AI, is versus individualized, highly contextual AI, which is creating a protocol of how humans really think, how they interact, and uh, and and making it easy to make these uh, interactions seamless.
0: Thank both of you for joining us today, um, Bre-
2: Bradley. I got to say, pre-show, Mandy and I were talking about <laughs> education and and voice first, and uh, I think all three of us are very excited about that. And I think Mandy's sort of trailblazing in that. And uh, Mandy, what what are some of your ideas? Because I I want to capture that um, that moment.
1: Um, I think that education is an area that right now is there's a huge potential there and we haven't talked much about in this area and I recall as I mentioned um, my very first winning project in the voice-based application was Dr. Speech and I think right now different companies they're trying to um, grow their user base through entertainment like Amazon is pursuing game space and Educations is another huge area. We're going to talk about Walmart and Google. They partner together. That's a good area to approach because commerce, we shop every day. That's the best way to integrate into our everyday life. But how about educations? I'm a huge advocate to build software that that help people um, improve themselves. One area, like for autism kids, you know, They don't feel comfortable talking in the public. And the device is right in your house. That can be another area that we can help those children. Like we talk about, it's not just for the kids, but for everyone. And my doctor's speech skill is exactly helping people from all around the world who speak English as a second language.
2: Now, now Mandy, that's fascinating. So you've, you've seen some progress in reaching out to uh, children on the autistic spectrum Mm -hmm. uh, to improve their communication skills because they're in a safe environment uh, and interacting with uh, a device that sort of isn't judging them. Is,
1: Is that what you're sensing? Yeah, exactly. Like you feel comfortable, like even, um, for the purpose of doctor speech is for people who want to improve their um, speaking skill. They feel comfortable. They can practice at home. And the cost of having a speech therapist is expensive. Oh, yeah. So, and one story that I always share with other people, like growing up, I learned multiple languages and I used to use a old-fashioned electronic dictionary to learn English. And now that I have Google Home and Alexa at home, that's like... Alive, we could be dear, and the learning too for me. And other people can definitely take advantage of that.
2: Now, do you see that as a possibility um, around you? Maybe other folks that uh, come from, uh, you know, um, Hong Kong and, and, and China that maybe oh, good, assist- memory.
1: <laughs> good memory, good
2: yeah. memory. Yeah. Uh, maybe assisting them in 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 taking English as a second language. You, you see that as a real real possibility, then.
1: I I do because. Um, Is a culture thing that um asian countries like china japan korea parents spend a lot of money sending their children to you know go to tutorial class after the normal daytime school work wow so for that alone i think the market is huge
0: well it's interesting that uh Voice technology is surging at a time where education is so focused on personalized learning. You know, it's easy to imagine all sorts of situations, and you've described some of them where voice technology can be that that tool in the toolkit to, to truly personalize learning. And, Definitely. Yeah, and that that's very exciting, and um, uh, that's that's cool to start the show with that because you know so much of. Everything going on with voice is about sharing experiences and and making technology more accessible to different people, and there's nothing that drives that point home more than education. So, Mandy, I think that's great. And with that, we will get to the news. So, our first story this week is kind of a big one. (laughs) Google, (laughs) Just a little bit, just a hair. Uh, Google and Walmart, um, two uh, companies you might have heard of, are teaming up to take on Amazon in this new world of voice first commerce. And we included a clip of uh, Jim Kramer from CNBC, I think, who is kind of (laughs) of hating on it. But um, my question to start off with, and Mandy, I'll begin with you. Do you think that Google and Walmart teaming up can be successful in stopping uh, the juggernaut and the momentum that Amazon has uh, generated to this point in the voice realm?
1: That's a great question. And when I read the news, I was asking myself, is it too late for Google and Walmart to team up together? I mean, obviously, um, they both offer different um, values to each other. Like To me, Google can really take advantage of Walmart's retail expertise and the distribution footprint and in retail a couple of years ago they they mentioned like omnichannel you can order online and pick up in store i don't see google will open any stores in the couple in the following years so they can definitely take advantage of the physical store that Walmart has right now and we can see that Amazon they're trying to they are trying to have more physical stores now by having amazon go and and it's interesting that Walmart is also trying to go to the online space by Jack dot com last year. I think they both bring different values to each other,
0: sure, and that's a big thing, obviously Walmart's not used to uh sharing cooperating partnering with uh, anybody and uh and google uh really doesn't have that in their dna either brian what are your thoughts on this
2: well thanks for asking bradley i i gotta say that this is a, a landmark in voice commerce i i've been talking about voice commerce since the 1980s and you know it was quite considered insane back then, and uh, obviously after 2014, it became more obvious with Amazon and the Echo platform. Uh, I believe it's going to be the ultimate arc of most commerce, even retail and online commerce, will integrate these conceptual models of what I call voice commerce. There's many modalities within that. Uh, There's not enough time in this show to cover all of them, but Walmart has been very impressive in catching up to what was not only an existential threat, but an obvious threat to their ability to continue growing in the post-Amazon world. I could say the demarcation point was when they acquired Jet. That DNA is injected new life into Walmart. There's a big open area in groceries and produce in how we may in the future wind up making a lot of our repetitive purchases, uh, non-perishable purchases, our canned uh, canned purchases, et cetera, paper products, and our perishable purchases from meats to poultry, fish, and uh, and produce. Amazon obviously knows this. And part of the Whole Foods acquisition, which ironically concluded today with a press announcement uh, that literally talks about how Amazon Prime will will be integrated next month at the point of sale at Whole Foods. You will literally be identified as an Amazon Prime member with discounts already at Whole Foods. This is how massive they're moving. Also, we're going to start seeing Amazon Prime. It was not directly stated in the press release, but it, will, it was alluded to that Amazon Prime customers via Alexa will now be able to interact with ordering through Whole Foods. And that... The one other piece is delivery and pickup, how they execute that.
0: Do you think that Walmart, uh, I guess, Walmart, Google, Walmart, Google, whatever, Galmart, whatever we call them now. (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, Do you think think they're going to to cover the last mile too? Or you think they're going to say, ah, people don't care that much.
2: Yes, they are. And uh, they are test marketing with Uber already. And if you want to talk about the ultimate dream team, Amazon, uh, sorry, Google, Walmart and Uber, creating a Frankenstein juggernaut. To that's interesting. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm not saying that's the only modality. I, I can tell you that a lot of people will wind up using, I wouldn't say majority, but quite a, quite a lot, will wind up using both Amazon voice first at, at Whole Foods and Walmart, Google voice first by doing pickup. And if the store is arranged, and this is more for Whole Foods than Walmart, sorry Walmart, you need to update your stores. They suck in some ways. Um, <laughs> but in Walmart, in Walmart, if they do more serendipity, if this takes off, you will want to get out of your car and not have somebody stick it in your trunk and just leave. You'll have them stick it in your trunk and then you go out of your car and you walk and you look for those other things that you didn't need, know you needed. Now, not everybody's going to do that. Some people just, nah, get my stuff, get out of here, go home, sit in front of the TV. Other people will be like, okay, I got all my 90% of my work done. Now I can just kind of cruise the store and see what else I need.
0: Sure. Uh, and I remember um, back, uh, it was years ago, I don't remember when, but uh, I remember when Sam's Club, a uh, reading yes. an article about Sam's Club was... Um, implementing a system and it's got a certain name and i can't remember what it is but basically the gist of it is you can order all your stuff online and then you pick it up right at the front of the store and of course at sam's club you got you know mom and pop businesses ordering like you know truckloads of stuff you know like it was big it was huge, huge, huge carts of stuff and and there was a lot of discussion internally at walmart uh, which owns you know sam's club at the time where um, we don't want to cannibalize, uh, the impulse buy, and a lot of people arguing, Hey, we shouldn't make this available for people to do this uh, yeah. online and pick it up. But what they've discovered, uh, in the overwhelming number of situations that people order their product online to pick up at the front of the store and, and either pay for it there, or they pay for it already. They walk the store first. Absolutely. They walk the store, and then they uh, maybe add another thing or two or, or a few things or whatever, and then they pick up the stuff at the end. So in other words, they found out that they never had anything to worry about in terms of losing the impulse buying that they thought they might.
2: It's so important to understand this. This data is empirical. It's extremely powerful. And at the end of the day, it's what a lot of analysts and a lot of what I call grumpy voice-first deniers and voice commerce deniers don't really understand is that we're creating new modalities just like what the web commerce modality was or the mobile commerce modality. The problem is existing legacy thinkers, the people that think that they're on the cutting edge because they just they just captured the idea of mobile commerce in their brain and they don't want to leave that space. They don't want to deal with the idea of voice commerce. It's too much for them. So they, they sort of drag their heels and their nails into the back and saying, please, I don't want to go into this. But this new modality, I see it increasing by 22% on average in my studies uh, based upon people pre-ordering, pre and pre-ordering, relieves them of that particular transaction. And now they are in a
1: new transaction mindset, new modality. And I think the important aspect of that is really, how can we simulate the experience that customer, consumer get in store? And that's when will the voice commerce become really popular? Or how can we add values to that? Like we, There's many articles that are coming out yesterday, today, about why would a customer pick, you know, they can order things just using the mobile app over voice? And I think that's a really valid point. And when I read those articles, they mentioned about product selection. You don't want to be asked 20 questions before you put the toilet paper in your shopping cart. And I think that's one of the hurdles that if we can overcome that, which go to the topic about the data. Like Walmart, they have the purchase history of the customer. And that's why this partnership is powerful. And another thing that I think if we can simulate or improve the whole customer support, like adding value to the shopping experience. To me, um, one of the experience when I shop, like either online or through any interface, is the customer support, like on on the internet, on the website, live chat or anything, I think voice will be an interesting channel to support customer. And when that adds value to this whole voice commerce experience, that's that's when, when people will start to rely on the device to shop because they get instant support. I completely agree with
0: you. I agree.
2: I agree too. And you know, uh, I got to say one more thing. Mandy makes such a great point about context. And that is, if we create a voice commerce environment that is like an IVR, right? Like the phone systems that we press operator. I don't want to talk to. Then we have failed as technologists. We failed as voice first researchers. The experience has to be highly contextual to that individual. And she brings up such a perfect point. The more data shopping data you have on that individual, the more likely you are to know what toilet paper or paper towels or toothpaste that that individual wants and you will preference that, but also over time offer serendipity and just impulse buys that are centered around these things.
0: As long as the the trust of the pricing is there, and oh uh, god, oh yes, oh, and with Walmart, uh, you know, Walmart, it's there, and and maybe even a little bit more than Amazon because with Amazon, it's there too. But Amazon plays these games where they change the price all the dynamic, time. Dynamic, dynamic um,
2: pricing models, dynamic yeah. pricing models, which is
0: and, the- you're a sucker. <laughs> it, it, yeah, well, it doesn't mean um, that they can't be successful, of course. Uh, they're going to be successful with voice commerce, but it means you know Walmart is a little bit more trusted. I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and I appreciate yeah. uh, the commentary on that. Moving on to story number two, Samsung's Bixby, as of Tuesday, has expanded and is now available in over 200 countries and territories worldwide. And, Brian, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, is Bixby at the point where uh, we really need to be paying attention a little bit more closely, or are they still running way behind?
2: Both, but mostly running way behind because basically Bixby can only understand Korean and English and U.S. English in specific. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, So, you know, I'm sure Mandy knows this. 200 countries is fine as long as English is without very thick accents is, is available because here's the funny part. You can use Bixby. If you're Korean, Uh, you can use Bixby and you can try to use Bixby in English mode with your Korean accent. And it will absolutely not understand you. And this is where the big data and the big science of machine learning really favors companies like Google, uh, uh, Apple, Apple, Uh, Facebook and others that are doing this um, uh, voice recognition, once that becomes conceptualized into a chip, which it will be, it's table stakes now, but in the future, it'll be so commoditized, it'll be built into one single chip, it'll understand everybody's potential accent, and in, in in the more further future, understand every language. We can literally bake that into a chip at some point. And when that happens, this becomes irrelevant. And then we're just looking at intent extraction, which is going to be the next big thing. But so Bixby is not Viv. And anybody following what Viv was, what Steve Jobs' last dying acts was to acquire the Siri uh, company and all of its uh, assets and its people. And then one year later, almost most of them left. Uh, that might say something, what, what went down, they formed and reconstituted under Viv, and that got acquired by Samsung. And a lot of people think that when they see Bixby, they see Viv, and that is doing a huge disservice to the legacy of these fine folks at Viv. Bixby on its own is a reactionary product to a certain level, primarily uh, provincial to the Korean market, expanded with some English language capability but not nearly reaching the level that it should be for such a popular phone platform. Um, now, does that paint them in a corner of being a you know a dead-end product? No. I think Bixby is going to be immensely useful for many Samsung users. I believe that to complete the picture, they're going to download Google Assistant. There's no doubt about it. Uh, they're going to live in sympathy for both of these things. There are positive aspects of Bixby, that we'll start seeing come about within Siri. And that is deep OS integration, where you can literally talk to the phone to do things at an OS level. We currently don't have that capability in any other products. So from that element, it's an extremely powerful platform. The other thing I, I find very interesting is Bixby is a hardware button on a Samsung device. I think it's exceedingly important to have a hardware button. I think ultimately we might wind up seeing Apple... Going this direction, as they become buttonless, the next iPhones probably won't have anything near a mechanical home button. It'll be a, a an area on the screen. I think they'll become a time where one of the side buttons Apple will m- make it into multi-duty uh, for press to talk um, and also obviously raise the talk. So yes, uh, in a short realm, Bixby is not nearly. Uh, Google Assistant it's not nearly Amazon's uh, Alexa platform and certainly is not Siri, but it is doing well for what it does within the bounds of its own hardware.
1: I agree with uh, Ryan and I would be I mean although I was originally from Hong Kong I'll be curious to see like how the Asian customer pick up Samsung over you know Pixel phone or Siri like I would be interested to see how Asian customer react to Samsung. The brand is Asian-Korean brand. So that's my only comments to add on that.
0: So you're skeptical?
1: Um, I, I believe that... No, I'm, I won't say I am skeptical. I would be curious to see the, the result since they now are available in over 200 countries. And compared to Pixel phone and Siri, I would be curious to see how the Asian customer respond to that.
2: Okay. I, I got to ask, Mandy, do, do, you, do you see um, within most of the Asian countries sort of a more closer affinity to voice? Because a, uh, a lot of my friends and colleagues um, uh, find it very interesting how quickly it's being adopted within China and Badu and, uh, and some of these other companies in using voice. And do you think that plays against what Samsung is doing also?
1: Um, you're right that it become pretty popular quickly in Asia, specifically in China, because the app WeChat, people can do a lot of things with the app WeChat. WeChat is basically PayPal, Amazon, Google, Facebook, <laughs> everything combined into one. So that's why it's so popular, I, I believe, like, because of one app, WeChat. People use that for everything in life. And that could help you know, if the Asian consumer is so comfortable talking to the phone and using the voice command. The success of the app WeChat really driving the force of the voice command. Like if people can do so many things within one app, the software aspect, they feel so comfortable. I think Asian customers, they feel even more comfortable talking to the phone like in public. That's one privacy issue that people concern about when you use you know, use the phone and talk it aloud in public. You, you want to order a pizza tonight. And I think culture-wise, Asian customer, we feel more comfortable like talking in the public about different commands or what we want to do with the phone compared to, you know, American customer.
2: I I, I just feel like, Culturally, like what Mandy's saying, I have so many of my friends come back to me saying, You have no idea how popular uh, talking to the phone and commanding the phone and ordering things uh, through WeChat has become. And it's literally almost like overnight, the last couple of months, it's really skyrocketed. And I, I really am always interested in the cultural differences that drive that. Some of my friends say it's just the nature of the Chinese language and the characters and how much typing. And, and regimenting that you want to do
1: the Yes. That's yes. A, a big part of it? Yes, the typing alone. Like, I, I still read and write Chinese perfectly. And for sure, I don't type Chinese that often. So I usually just write the strokes, the lines. Yes. It does take longer time just to type in the keyboard ABC. And I think that's the time saving for a lot of Asian customers. You know, the speed matters.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, that's okay. interesting. Very interesting. So, Bixby continues to make progress, and uh, we will keep our eye on it. Moving on to story number three you can speak with Alexa about how not to waste food. This is very interesting. This article is actually fascinating um, as you sort of ponder how voice technology will impact every aspect of our culture, our world. And, Mandy, I wanted to ask you sort of what you took away from the overall idea. The voice technology can improve our society in ways like this and many others?
1: I, I love this skill. I haven't tried, but just the idea alone, I love it. It's interesting to see that even nonprofit, like I believe, um, I did some research, the organization, the console, they build this skill. Like, it's interesting that nonprofit aspect, they are also getting into the voice space. For me, as I mentioned earlier, I like to build useful, useful software, not just for consumer, but developers and this is a skill that I, I cook pretty much every day or every other day and women also control lots of household money like we spend and shop more than a man got that right <laughs> <laughs> and this skill is definitely helping women like save a lot of money and how to you know not waste food in the kitchen and i'm a, a fan of this skill and i would definitely try it tonight going back to the point about nonprofit organization, and I would be interested to hear, like, what are your opinions on that? Like, it seems like every industry is, like, picking up this voice base.
0: Well, it's fascinating that you would point that out, uh, because that's, to me, a direct byproduct of something that we've talked about on this show and several other shows every week, which is the fact that uh, Alexa skills and other voice applications have not yet been monetized. So when you have an Alexa skills marketplace, that doesn't allow a developer to sell their skill for nine 99 or 99 cents or three 99 or what name of price, what it doesn't matter. Uh, what you are going to probably get, um, are, companies, organizations, individuals, so on and so forth that don't have that profit motive. And so nonprofits are obviously going to be a big part of that. And here we are seeing exactly this type of thing play out in this article. And um, with this podcast, This Week in Voice, we sort of have talked about these skills aren't monetized as being a negative. And it is a negative, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have positive uh, things to go along with it. And one of them is just attracting um, it's easier to spot quality things going on in the nonprofit realm because we don't have the for-profit entities clamoring and make, banging the gong and making a bunch of noise just yet because they can't sell their stuff yet. That's the way I look at it. But um, you're right. It is fascinating, and it's great to see that uh, you know, it just speaks to accessibility. Uh, it, this technological realm, uh, this cutting, bleeding edge of tech, is available just as much to nonprofits as it is to Walmart and Google. And I think that is a big green check mark for everything that's going on. Moving on to story number four, Google is readying its competitor to Apple's AirPods. So Brian, this is perfect for you. You're the fan of the AirPods. Uh, I am not a fan of the AirPods, uh, but I'm alone. Uh, Pretty much everybody (laughs) Uh, else in the world, it seems like, is. What should we take away from this news? And how do you see this battle, uh, this skirmish uh, playing out uh, between these two?
2: Bradley, thank you. Um, You know, I think it's probably one of the largest announcements that is going to come out of Google this year. Um, We're going to see a Google Mini come around, maybe at a $29.95 price point for uh, the Google Home. Uh, which I believe will be renamed and hopefully have a name for the assistant, a anthropomorphized name. And I think we're going to see Google enter into what I call near-field communication, near-field voice first. Uh, Farfield is owned by Amazon currently, obviously. Google entered into that field uh, with a Farfield system called Google Home. And the I guess the code word for this system is Bisto. It is essentially... AirPods, but it's going to be a little bit more than that AirPods was Originally conceived To be music only uh, And it was based upon The concept that The iPhone needed to become ultimately Waterproof, hermetically sealed And this is a long drive for Apple uh, And we'll start seeing that More in September uh, They want a device that essentially Is you know, un- Unable to be uh, insulted By any liquids so the only way to get to do that effectively is to get rid of the 3.5 millimeter audio jack, and that already happened. Um, there's other reasons for it. It was a ridiculously large amount of real estate being taken over by an analog plug. And whenever you look at the arc of computer history, the reason why we don't use the IEEE 488 bus or the RS-232 bus anymore or connector is because that size modality became irrelevant.
0: Yeah. Don't go comparing it to that. <laughs> I know. I
2: know. I, I hear you. But okay, so now, what is Amazon? Well, l- well, actually, let me go to this point. We have Siri being integrated inside of AirPods more as a, as a bit of a last-minute thought, and that was primarily because of the, I want to call it infighting, the control of the internal narrative of the future of Apple and there are fractions within side of apple that know that the future is voice first there are fractions within side of apple that want to deny that future there are fractions within side of apple that are neutral to it and it is one who incrementally move in that direction the problem is this problem with every legacy company and that is self disruption if apple were to fully embrace the voice first world they would disrupt themselves in many ways and airpods is in when history looks back is going to be one of those moments where those two forces sort of converged the, you know, hardware and the old view of Apple and the voice first uh, view of Apple and slightly the old Apple is winning as we see new Siri being released in, in September, you're going to start seeing new functionality of AirPods. And then once the, the um, cellular Apple watch is released then the full circle will come back and Siri will become front and center with AirPods. Google, on the other hand, is seeing it purely as an extension to the Assistant. They're building it from the ground up with that premise, of course. Playback of music is going to be there. Uh, Connection to the Pixel phone and other phones obviously is going to be there. But Assistant is going to mediate all of these interactions. And I believe that that's going to be the gateway drug for people understanding why near-field is so important. There are things that we'll say in the near-field to small microphones close to our head than we would say into an open room in a far-field environment like Alexa. I've done a lot of study in this over the last seven years. The reason why it is important is privacy, uh, security, confidence. And I've noticed with early AirPod users that in public environments, they are much more willing to have Siri interactions rather than holding what I call pizza phone. Now, pizza phone is an image that Apple created, which was in hindsight, ridiculous. And that is, you see images of people talking to Siri with their phone sideways, talking to the bottom of the phone like it's a pizza ready to take a bite out of. When you're doing that in public, you're signaling to those around you, that you're literally talking to probably Siri or you're talking to somebody on the speakerphone and being maybe somewhat rude. When you hold the phone to your head, it's a completely different mental state. It also broadcasts a different signal to those around you. AirPods and this new Google Assistant being in your ear, always available 24 hours a day, negating what we've talked about in the past about radio frequencies and what those impacts are. Let's assume they don't exist, but let's be honest, they do exist, and someday we'll talk even in more detail about it, but let's assume they don't exist. The power of having an assistant in your ear at all moments, uh, with permission, with high security and and, uh, everything, listening to your context could be immensely powerful. The war is not just in the far field. The war is in the near field, too. And when these devices are released in the next couple of weeks... Uh, we're going to see something extremely interesting. And guess what, Bradley? We're going to have a whole lot of shows talking about it because there's going <laughs> to yes, be a lot that Google's going to download.
0: I'm, I'm born and raised in the South, live in Nashville, and uh, I guarantee you, you see uh, somebody walking through the grocery store talking into a pizza phone, you know, their phone <laughs> held like that, uh, you're going to get uh, not one, but several uh, little old ladies telling you to kindly shut the hell up
2: Oh, I love it. <laughs> but, we we uh, need to import them all around the tech centers of the world, especially in San Francisco. There should be one on every corner.
0: And and and, and, the, and that's, it's a public service. Yeah, uh,
2: and the same old lady should be saying, "Look up" when you cross feet. the street, young man. That's look
0: that's up. Is, yeah, it's exactly right. Um, but uh, anyhow, thank you, Brian. Moving on to story number five: secrecy is overrated. This blew me away. Apple has a new machine learning journal that they have not only uh, started, but they're publishing it online uh, is where it's available for public consumption. And Mandy, what do you take away from this? Does this surprise you like it does me? Is this something that uh, you can uh, view as a resource or what do you think about this?
1: Um, I'm not surprised at all because of the topic open source. TensorFlow is open source by Google and they are leveraging they are leveraging the community to create better software. So Apple is following the footprint. And Apple and other companies, they share their thoughts, the technologies, like white paper like this. Other people cannot really do a lot of things if they don't have the data. So I think I'm not surprised by this at all. And in the article, um, they mentioned like speech synthesizer, how, how this work? I think some of them are pretty technical. Maybe you need a PhD to understand it. So for me, for me, it's the trend. Like right now, even financial institutions, like Capital One is a great pioneer. And JP Morgan Chase, even financial institution, they are trying to get into open source community. And this is all about sharing, using the community to leverage the, the technologies. So I'm not surprised at all, and I'm really happy to see that. And all the companies, they are moving towards that direction.
0: Well, it, it, it is surprising from the standpoint of just Apple's um, cultural DNA of being so secretive. But uh, as you said, I'm, I'm glad uh, that they're following in Google's and others' footprints to become a little bit more open because that will help them uh, serve the customer better, uh, ultimately. Uh, Bradley,
2: um, i, I got to add also that... Sure that particular piece on how Siri's new voice was created is really quite powerful because, you know, prior we were using hidden Markov models and other sorts of technologies to create the the voice structures that we hear within um, the current uh, generation of voice for systems. Apple exposing, um, you know, HMMs and uh, MDNs, and you have to go and read what these really represent, these are new models that will allow more emotive speaking coming back to us. And I believe that as we get more data being sent to us through these voice-first systems, having more natural speech patterns, you know, like having somebody from All Things Considered uh, you know, uh, or a PBS show kind of talking to us all the time with that sort of cadence uh, uh, and all sorts of inflections that a human voice has will make it m- not only more, more pleasurable, but much more able to be understood. And I got to applaud Apple uh, and, and the Siri team for putting this stuff out here because a lot of this is quite proprietary, to
0: be frank well, about it. Well, sure. And uh, there's plenty to hate on Apple about, and, uh, and I don't miss a lot of opportunities to do that. But uh, <laughs> this, this, is, uh, this is not one of those things. This is very cool. Uh, this is something that uh, uh, adds value to everybody involved, and, uh, and it's good to see.
2: No, no, Bradley, applesauce today, then. <laughs>
0: yeah, no applesauce. Uh, at least not on this. Uh, this is this is quality. Uh, doing things that uh, make a lot of sense. So it's all all good and very appreciated. Uh, story number six uh, this week is a longer think piece from uh, Stratfor called "The Promise and Peril of Smart Devices." And I'll actually get uh, both of y'all's opinions on this. And Mandy, uh, since this is the last story before I talk about the Alexa conference, I'll start with you. What did you think about this think piece?
1: Um, I think the security is always the topic, you know, how people don't want their data information get connected. And one way to really um to to help people better understand it is through educations. That's really my takeaway from like that article or this news. There's there's always talking about the security, the privacy and Customer consumers, I think the education will help them, like you know, ease some of their worry.
2: Uh, I want to echo what Mandy was saying. I, you know, it's been an ongoing theme uh, on on this uh, transmission. We've talked about it a lot. I think the defining, the defining aspect of this generation will be how privacy and security is handled in the AI world, specifically the voice first highly contextual ai world and a lot of people forget that the nuanced argument that elon musk had with mark zuckerberg when they they were starting their sort of open debate about the future uh what elon is really and although he's not articulating it in tweets but if you read the longer form of what he's saying is all of this data and context will be available how is it going to be protected how are we going to be sure that it's not being utilized? And from a very basic hardware level, how do we know that microphone is not activated right now? And what are the assurances that you're giving me, Mr. or Mrs. Google and Amazon and, uh, and Apple? What are these assurances that you're giving me that I'm not being exposed in some way? So something's going to give. Uh, folks like myself and others, we've debated this. And we open it up for discussion. Uh, but a lot of the companies are sort of no hands and prefer not to talk about this. But the bottom line is it isn't going to go away. And it's only going to get worse as somebody gets um, maybe infiltrated. And I got to ask, Mandy, in Asian countries, how much more is privacy and security considered uh, when, when they're talking to a device and maybe that information is being secured?
1: I guess it depends on like what topics that Asian culture, some topics Americans will feel like comfortable to talk in public, but some Asian they might not. So I for me I I need to explore that area as well. I mean, right now, most of the time I really use it at home, more than the mobile phone. Government probably we much more concerned than individual consumers and gotcha. Definitely, just like American, we are concerned about if the device are listening to us every moment.
2: Absolutely. That makes sense. How about you, Bradley? You feel oh. exposed?
0: Uh, if somebody wants to listen to what I'm saying, you know, you know, what, what my wife or I are saying at home, Like, be my guest. It's far, far <laughs> more boring than uh, you could even dream. <laughs> let's hope not Bradley let's, uh, but, let's hope it's uh, a little spicy over there <laughs> um no you know um it was alarming when I saw the Samsung TVs you know had been listening because I yeah. got one of those smack in the middle of my office um but um you know there's always things to sort of wake you up to the fact that your privacy is probably being violated on a not just a daily, but an hourly, even minute-by-minute minute basis by something. One of the good things about voice is that, number one, it's a trusted company that's leading the way with this with Amazon. In Absolutely. Terms of the yeah. uh, but the other part is that you've got other people who are um, sort of serving as checks and balances, and that really brings us back to the first story You know that Google and Walmart are saying, Amazon, you're not going to cakewalk into the end zone on my watch, uh we're going to band together and uh try to stop you from doing this. It, it's competition. Uh the competition at the end of the day I feel like more than even regulation will will keep us uh safe. But um, I agree.
2: And I think, uh, speaking for Ahmed, who's not with us today, uh, I think he would be proud of that concept because uh, out of um, uh, the doctor, this guy has been watching this for quite a long time, decades, and he's always been worried about the idea of what if only one entity leads individually down this road, right? Sure. And, uh, and, and having that, hopefully, has a mediating effect on privacy and security, because well, we
0: just did our first podcast uh, called Artificial Intelligence. It's a new Voice First FM show, and it goes live uh, on Monday on Voice oh, First wow. FM. And uh, our first guest was Joshua Montgomery, who is CEO of a company called Mycroft AI. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was his concern, too. Uh, and he articulates actually very well uh, how there needs to be sort of uh, as much equal distribution of this power as there can uh, to be a check and balance uh, sort of system. Um, so yeah, that that opinion is shared uh, by a lot of a lot of smart folks, including Ahmed, including uh, you and Mandy as well. Before we go, I'm going to give the story number seven, which is at the Alexa conference, uh, which is the annual gathering of Alexa developers and enthusiasts in Chattanooga, uh, January 18th through the 20th. Uh, we announced a new major sponsor this past week and revealed uh, some new aspects of what's going on. You're into voice technology, which you probably are if you're listening to this. Uh, you should check that out. It's at alexiconference.com.
2: Well, I got to you, to anybody listening to our voices, attend this event. Bradley puts on phenomenal events. This is going to be the definitive event of 2018, and I think it's going to set the stage of what the next year is going to look like. So be there. You're I will. The
0: be- yeah, you're going to want to be there. and Brian uh, will be yeah. there. And, and, uh, and so it's going to be exciting. And uh, Mandy, we hope to have you there as well. And um,
1: I would love to give a talk there. I yeah, love so sharing. We'll
0: see if we can make that happen. And uh, it will sell out, by the way. So check that out uh, sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Thanks to both of you for your generosity with your time and your insight today. For Episode 8 of This Week in Voice, August 24th, 2017, thank you for listening. And until next time.